Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Jodie, if you don't know me. Um, I'm on the leadership team here. And we're going to be starting to look at the Book of Romans. Um, so why are we going to be studying the Book of Romans at this time? Well, you'll know that last year um, we talked a lot about knowing Jesus and making him known. And that wasn't something for last year, that's something for the rest of our lives. Um, and so as we go deeper in what it means to know Jesus and make him known, Romans is a book of the Bible that can really help us with that. As we read through Romans, you will recognise a lot of the truths that come out through Romans are in the songs that we've sung in worship today about what Jesus has done for us. So we're going to learn more about the fullness of what Jesus has done for us and then how our lives need to look based on those truths. Also, you'll know earlier this year, we had some words um, for the church about deepening and strengthening our roots. And so to strengthen our roots, we need to um, dive into the Bible. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to strengthen us, to give us fuller understanding of um, who he is and what he's done for us, and then how that changes us, and we can shine that out to the world. So looking at Romans is a real step as a church to say, yeah, we want to invest in strengthening our roots. Um, it's also really convenient that the Bible Society have just launched a course on Romans um, with months, if not years, of research into the Book of Romans um, to help us. So we're going to be drawing, drawing on that um, resource. For me personally, um, if you've been around in the church a while, you probably know that I love the Book of Romans anyway, so um, it's not a hardship for me to, to get into the Book of Romans. Um, I've had a... Um, Love, love relationship with the Book of Romans <laughs> since I was about 18 um, at university and decided I wanted to memorise a book of the Bible, well, not a book of the Bible, a chapter of the Bible, and um, who knows why, but I chose Romans 8. Um, there's um, some very good verses in Romans 8. It starts with, um, there is there now, therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's verses like, um, for we know that God works for the good of all of those who are loved according to his purposes. Um, if God is for us, who can be against us? What can separate us from the love of God? So it's packed full of, of some headline verses. Um, but then you get into the bits in between, and it's a bit hard going and a bit tough, and it talks about the law and, and what Jesus did in relation to the law. And, and I was like, whoa, this isn't really what I get taught much about on a Sunday morning in my Sunday school um, or growing up. So um, as I dived into Romans 8 and started to piece it together in my mind, verse by verse, as I chewed it over and I memorized it, not in an academic way of just learning something, but in a way of going, what does this mean? What has Jesus done for me? How can I learn this truth and then know it? And how can I... Be transformed by the renewing of my mind. How can I speak this truth over myself so that I'm not just learning a chapter of the Bible, but that I'm being transformed by Jesus in the process? And so I made it through Romans 8. Um, I don't remember it all now, but I remember a lot of it. I think maybe if I'd had Rachel and a song with some actions, but it probably would have taken me about three hours to get through Romans 8 in a song version. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've just found that um, 
Romans has helped me understand Jesus, understand what Jesus has done for us, understand what the good news is that he brings. Um, so I'm excited to be um, teaching on Romans as we go through this course. And it's not just me that um, likes Romans. There's many people over the centuries who have found this book an amazing book of the Bible. Um, St. Augustine, back in the 4th century. Now, some of you might be familiar with him, some of you might not. But um, back in the 4th century, he was considered um, the most influential thinker after Paul. And um, this is what he said, having read Romans. Clear light flooded my heart, and all the darkness of doubt flooded away. And then we'll skip a few centuries to the 18th century with John Wesley, who started um, the Methodist church with his brother Charles Wesley. He said, as he read Romans, I felt my heart strangely warm. I felt that I did trust in Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken my sins away, even mine, and had saved me from the law of sin and death. That's what Romans did as he read it. And then in the book Knowing God, um, J.I. Parker says, Paul's letter to Rome is the high peak of scripture. All roads in the Bible lead to Romans, and all the views afforded by the Bible are seen most clearly from Romans. So again, powerful sentiment about how Romans could help us in our view of who God is of understanding Jesus, drawing closer to Jesus, and then being transformed by this truth. So, um, as I said, we're going to be drawing on um, the resources from the Bible Society. Um, you might ask how long it's going to take us to go through the book of Romans. Well, um, Pastor John Piper from the US took eight years to teach his church on Romans, and there's 150 hours of sermons online if you want to get into it. Um, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones at Westminster Chapel took 15 years to teach through Romans. So um, I'm just setting you up for the fact that, you know, we're here for the long haul and there's a, there's a lot to do. Um, but we're going to do it in 10 weeks. So, um, <laughs> um, But just to give you, um, yeah, a bit of a shape of what we're doing, we're going to take the next 10 weeks to look at this. But as you can tell, there is so much meat in Romans and so much depth in Romans that we're not going to be able to cover 15 years of teaching <laughs> in 10 weeks. Um, but what we are going to do is pick out what we feel God is saying at the moment, teach through the whole book, and hopefully awaken in you a love of Romans that you can spend the next 15 years asking God to reveal to you more depths of truth from Romans. So this week, I'm going to cover a bit of the introduction about what Romans is, um, how we can understand this book, um, and then a few of the main points that come out in chapter one. So first of all, this should be an easy question, hopefully, for some people. Who wrote Romans? Paul. We good. First question right. <laughs> Karen said that with a little bit of hesitation after that confidence. Um, just getting that. Once you've done that, you can. <laughs> and um, what do we know about Paul? He was a what, sorry? He was a Pharisee. He was a Pharisee. What's a Pharisee? 
He knew God. He was a Jew. He knew the word. He studied the word. Yeah, devoted to, to following God. Uh, yeah. Hated the new Christians because he was a devout Jew. So when this new Christian group came along, what did he do to the Christians? Killed them, persecuted them. Yeah, so he was a passionate, dedicated person. When something came against what he believed was the truth, he came in as part of persecuting the early church. Anything else we know about Paul? He initiated the stoning of Stephen, so we know there's accounts in the Bible of him being directly involved in killing um, and instigating the death of Christians. Sounded like a nice guy that we want to read his letter, by the way. (laughs) Then he met Jesus. (laughs) Okay, so how did he meet Jesus? On the road to Damascus. And um, what what happened there, James? What was that encounter? Um, He went blind and he had a vision of light and he heard the voice. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, so he was called Saul. He went blind, he saw the light, and then he heard a voice that said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Um, And then he had um, blindness and he was told to wait um, for, for three days. And then, anyone know the name of the person that came to visit him? Ananias. Ananias. Anyone know what street he went down? Straight Street. It's like one of the only times in the Bible where it says that Ananias ran down Straight Street. So anyway. Um, Yeah, and so Ananias came and, um, I mean, how fearful to go to this persecuting (laughs) Pharisee um, who hates the early church and you're a new Christian and you go and you... Yeah, are with Saul when he becomes Paul and the scales removed from his eyes as he believes in what Jesus has done. And so, I mean, that's quite a conversion story from, from Paul the Pharisee, um, from Saul the Pharisee um, to Paul the Apostle of Jesus. Um, anyone know anything else about Paul? He was a tent maker. He worked hard for his living, yeah, so, um, yeah, he had a profession, like a, a job um, that he did as he worked hard. He encouraged So he was, yeah, he was one of the, he was planting churches, going on missionary journeys, spreading the gospel. Um, he was also a Roman citizen, so even though he was a Jew, um, and um, a very devout Jew, um, he was also born in Tarsus, which was part of the Roman Empire, so he had Roman citizenship. And as you read through Acts and you read through things that happened to Paul, often it was quite handy that he was a Roman citizen and he could call in some favours. Um, and he was in He was imprisoned. Um, that might be Peter you're thinking of. But, um, yeah, but no, Paul was imprisoned and, um, yeah. Yeah, the only way he got to Rome was from prison. And he got special, yeah. When he wrote this letter, he wasn't, he'd never been to Rome. And then he wanted to go to Rome, and then God said, you're going to go to Rome when he was on charge. Of yeah, him, yeah, yeah. And then that's how he got to Rome. Yeah, so we'll... You see, you're, you're skipping ahead, Penny. He's giving you some <laughs> uh, spoiler alerts. So, um, yeah, Paul wanted to go to Rome. Um, he's writing to the Romans, not from in Rome, but in Corinth. And um, he wanted to go desperately to Rome, but um, he ends up going to Rome in chains, taken as a prisoner, 
Um, so, yeah, we will discover some of that as well. So this is how um, Paul describes himself, actually, just from um, Philippians 3. And he says, um, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, I was a Pharisee. As for zeal, I was persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. So that was his life before he met Jesus. Um, and then we see, and we'll go on to see this morning, that when he writes to the Romans, he calls himself a slave to Christ. So having gone from being um, this devout Pharisee who understood salvation to be through the law and uh, his commitment to the law and his faithfulness and righteousness um, through what he did after his encounter with Jesus, like James said, everything changed. So Paul didn't just write Romans, Paul wrote a lot of our New Testament. Having had such an amazing encounter with Jesus, he was then um, yeah, entrusted to, to write much of um, our New Testament. So it's helpful for us to think, as we're reading through Romans, that this is a real letter from a real person to a real group of people. But Paul himself, when he refers to Scripture, says that all Scripture is God-breathed. So even though Paul is the author of this book, it's God's word that is coming through Paul to us. And so it's not just a first-century man, but it's God um, using Paul to impart his truth to us. So that's who wrote the letter. Although if you, when you get through Romans, as we're going to read through, when you get to verse 16, you might be a bit conf- chapter 16, you might be a bit confused, because in chapter 16, verse 22, um, someone else says that they wrote Romans. Um, let me just flick there for you. Um, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Um, so not that he's trying to claim all the glory from Paul and go, I know in verse 1 Paul says he wrote it, but actually... I wrote it, um, but they would have had a team of people writing. Letters were a bit different in those days um, than how we write a letter. And so he's the scribe that wrote it down. Um, there's a, a verse in um, Galatians 6 that Rich likes. I think I've heard he likes to write this on the bottom of cards. But um, <laughs> that talks about Paul and how apologising for how bad his handwriting is because of his poor eyesight. So it's probably, when we read Romans, that's probably the reason why someone else says, I wrote this. And um, to be honest, I think, yeah, that guy needs a bit of an award for sticking with Paul as he goes through all this content (laughs) and all this long letter um, compared to a lot of the other letters that people wrote. It's pretty long and meaty. Um, So who did he write the letter to? Does anyone know who the book of Romans is written to? The church in Rome, that's a good guess, yes. It's a very educated guess by Dave. Um, so it's written to the church in Rome. Um, any ideas what that church might have looked like? House groups, yep. Home groups, <laughs> yep. Small groups of people meeting in homes across the city. And Paul didn't actually plant the church in Rome. He didn't start the church in Rome. Um, It's actually thought that um, the church in Rome started, because 
Rome would have been a merchant place, that there were merchants who were travelled from Rome to Jerusalem and were in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and revival broke out and people spoke in tongues from every nation um, and people could understand and the richness of the gospel came and then those people carried that good news of what they'd experienced at the day of Pentecost and when they went back to Rome they started spreading that good news and people started to follow and believe in that news and so these small churches sprung up in people's homes um, uh, hidden away normally um, in an evening after after people had been at work and made their money and sorted all their affairs out, then they'd be able to come together and hide to explore what does this new news, what is this new good news that we've heard and what does that mean for us? So just a little bit about what Rome was like um, at the time when this was written. So obviously Rome, part of the Roman Empire, um, and um, don't forget that the Roman Empire would have been headed up by an emperor. And an emperor in those days was not like our king. Um, it was much more akin to a god. An emperor was worshipped. The language used around um, an emperor was you in service and submission and worship of this great emperor. And so the Romans would have been looking to their emperor as their saviour, for their salvation, for their hope. He was what their life succeeded or failed on, was based on the success of our empire and our emperor. Um, and we see, as Paul writes through Romans, how some of that plays into the thinking um, of the Romans there were some Jewish people who lived in Rome, so there were people who had never known anything about the Jewish faith and had come to the new gospel um, of Jesus, and then there were those who'd grown up as Jews, um, and there was a bit of tension between these two groups of people about understanding what it meant to follow Jesus and how important was it, all the Jewish culture and tradition, what's it mean now with this new good news, and there was clashes of this understanding, and we'll see that come out in Paul's letter as well. There were huge divides between rich and poor, um, slaves and free. About a third of the population of Rome were slaves. Um, and so there were tensions and divides across the city. Um, some people lived in palaces on hilltops with heated swimming pools from the spa water, and others lived in slums um, down in the city along the river. Um, but we'll see um, the excitement that Paul has to say that this good news is for everybody, um, no matter who you are. So Romans, as I said, is a letter from Paul to the church in Rome. Now, letters in the um, ancient world had a very set structure of how they would be written. Um, and those of you who did the Unlocking the Bible course last year, we did a whole session on what um, letters look like, because that helps us to know how we can read this book. Um, so it would have an opening address with a thanksgiving, and then it would summarise the message of the whole letter. Um, there'd be the body of the letter, and then you have the closing at the end to, to, to summarise again what the message has been. Now, letters 
I'm guessing, like, even in five, ten years, if we did a talk on letters, people might not even know what a letter <laughs> is because how many people actually sit down, write a letter, put it in an envelope, put a stamp on it and send it these days? It's much more email, even voice notes, or, um, you know, we've moved so far away um, from a letter. But in the ancient world, this was the main means of communication. Um, and these letters weren't written just for information purposes, but these letters were written to be read aloud, to be persuasive, to be like a persuasive argument, trying to convince the people they're writing to of something. Um, and they wanted a response, not a response as in RSVP, like, please, <laughs> please send me a letter back, but it was supposed to be a response in the heart, a response in the mind, like... People needed to change their thinking, their believing, their doing because of what they read in the letters. And so as we read this letter from Paul to the church in Rome, he's trying to convince them of the gospel. And we see that come through so strongly as we go through the Bible and through this book. So we're going to dive into Romans 1. Hopefully we'll have it up on the screen. Um, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, I think that's the version we've got coming up. Um, so we're going to read from verse 1 to 7 to start. So this is um, that bit of the book I was saying that is the opening address of um, any letter. And so here we see chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness. By his resurrection from the dead, Christ Jesus our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you, who are called to belong to Christ Jesus. That's a long sentence. <laughs> to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So I said Paul starts this um, and it says, Paul, a servant of Christ. And the original Greek says, Paul, a slave of Christ. And so right in the first line of his letter, he is being jarring in what he's saying. If you were a slave in Rome and a third of the population were slaves, your lifelong ambition was to be free. You, wanted, you did not want to be a slave. You wanted to buy your freedom, earn your freedom. Whatever it took, you wanted to be free. That was your dream. You would look at the free people and think, that's who I want to be. I don't want to be the slave that I am. And so Paul here, writing, knowing this context, says, I, Paul, a slave of Christ. Now, we will learn a lot more about what Paul thinks um, in why he's saying this and what this means. But basically, Paul knew that true freedom was laying your life down for Jesus. He knew that actually that's where you find your freedom your purpose, your belonging. And as much as that was jarring in the context of Rome, if we think about our context, 
Our world wants to tell us that freedom is having no restrictions. Nobody can tell me what to do. I can do what I want. Whatever I believe, whatever I say, whatever I do is right. But actually, we're going to learn that freedom is submission to Jesus. Freedom is living the way that we were intended to live. Freedom is understanding our creator, who we are, and then living in the fullness of Jesus' truth and what he's done for us. And so as much as that was a jarring, shocking opening to write to the Romans, for us, in our selfish, consumeristic, <laughs> um, cancel culture, whatever words we want to use to describe our society today, actually, we want to be convinced that true freedom is in following Jesus and what he has for us. And what he has for us is better than anything the world can offer. As we go on in that passage there, as we read... Um, through, it says, um, verse 7. Oh, no, let's go back to verse, um, verse 6. Um, so he's saying, including you who are called to belong to Christ Jesus, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. So he's writing to about five, um, five small house churches around the city, um, probably about 20 um, believers, 20 early Christians, trying to work out what it means to follow Jesus in this society. At the end of the letter, in verse 16, um, it lists all these different people that Paul is including. There's actually 27 people listed by name. Um, and he greets them, and he says something specific about them, and he knows them. So these people aren't just a group of people that Paul's heard about over here. These are people that he deeply cares about, is invested in. And so as he's writing this persuasive letter, he loves these people and he wants the best for them. And the gospel and the good news that he's including in this letter is the best thing that he can give to them. And so Paul, as he describes these people, he's saying they're loved by God, but the way that he's writing this letter shows that they're also loved by him. And, um, and so if you can just skip to um, chapter 16. As we look at the end of Romans and this long list of people, and we're not going to read through it, but we will in our readings through the week, um, he lists through um, name after name, as I say, 27 different people. Um, and what we miss from our English viewpoint and our reading it in English and our English understanding is that some of these names are Greek names, some of these names are Jewish names. Some of these names are wealthy names. Some of these names are people who were slaves. Um, some of them are pagan names. Um, and they are all part of the body of Christ in Rome. Whatever their background, slave, free, Greek, Jew, Gentile, um, male, female, they are worshipping together. They've received the good news the good news has been good news for them, um, regardless of who they are. And now they're meeting together. They've overcome all those differences because the thing that draws them together is Jesus. Um, and Jesus is bigger than any of those differences 
that separate them. And so what a beautiful image of the body of Christ, of what church should be. Um, And as I look around here, there's people who are like me, there's people who are different than me, (laughs) there's people from all sorts of places, all sorts of countries, and what an amazing thing that it's Jesus that brings us together, that that good news trumps everything else. And so we're going to see this message of unity of the gospel come through as we study through Romans, and the things that can... um, annoy us, frustrate us, that we can get fixated on and we can, can drive us apart. Actually, we need to come back to the unity of the gospel and that the gospel is for everyone and in the gospel, all of us are equal. And the church in Rome got that. Even though there's many other things they didn't get, <laughs> um, they were there together, um, worshipping God and doing life together. We're going to go on um, back to Romans 1 now, Anthony. <laughs> um, I'm putting Anthony through his probation today. So, <laughs> so yeah, Romans 1, and uh, we're going to read from verse 8 um, through to 13. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son that without ceasing I mention you. Always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Which he does later on, as Penny said, as a, um, as a prisoner. Um, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation... Ah, we're going to stop there at verse 13. So a few things I just want to pick out in this bit as Paul is writing to them, telling them why he's writing to them, telling them he's hoping to come to them, thanking God for them. Um, hopefully you'll see that there, it was like, I want to impart some spiritual truths. I want to, that we might mutually be encouraged. I want to give you spiritual gifts to strengthen you. Um, So these are some of the themes that we want to encounter as we go through Romans, that we might encounter um, spiritual gifts that strengthen us that we might be mutually encouraged as we study this on a Sunday, as we study this in small groups during the week, that we can strengthen one another and be mutually encouraged by what we learn through here. Now, moving on to um, Romans 14 um, to 17. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish... So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Romans 1 verse 16. (laughs) Um, For it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. 
Now, this is what we look when we look at ancient um, letters. This is where Paul is summarizing the whole rest of the letter that he's going to write. So if, if, if you're not going to read past this bit, he's like, get to verse 17 and I'll hit you with the highlights. Um, and so these few verses are packed with some of the richness that we are going to uncover and dive into over the next few weeks. Um, the first thing I had down, which Rich has already um, helped us understand, is what gospel is. So Paul here talks about the gospel, and the gospel is that good news. Um, and the word gospel would have been used in many ways. If the emperor and the Roman army had won a battle, they would bring the gospel back to the rest of the empire. Um, if, yeah, if a land had been captured, they would send the gospel back. If there was a new, um, a new emperor... Um, or if they, they would send uh, the gospel um, and what is the good news that we are sharing. So Paul here is trying to say, I've got good news, but it's not the good news that you think. This is the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the good news that was spoken about from the beginning of time. This is the good news that actually, it's not new news, it's old <laughs> news, but it's good news. It's good news that's in the whole of the Old Testament that there is a saviour coming. It's the good news that it's not by what you do, it's by what Jesus does. It's who God is. That's the good news. Um, take your eyes off of this emperor and the empire of Rome and actually look at the true emperor. Look at God, Yahweh, our father, our saviour, our wonderful God. This is what the good news is. Let's not mess around with any of this earthly gospel that you hear. This is the good news. So Paul was quite excited about it. I'm quite excited about it. And I hope that we're going to become more excited and excited about this good news as we go through the book of Romans. Um, but this isn't... I just want to dwell on um, the word gospel. The word gospel in this good news... It's one message that Jesus defeated sin and death. But we often apply that to us as individuals, our personal good news, our personal salvation. If I accept Jesus, then, wow, I'm counted as righteous. I'm saved. But actually, that's minimizing what this good news is. This good news is for us as individuals, but this good news is for our relationships with one another. This good news overcomes, as we said, the barriers of Jew, Greek, male, female, different races. That good news restores our relationship and view of one another. So that good news is for me, amazing, wonderful change in my life, but that good news is for us and for the world out there that this good news is for humanity. But the Bible doesn't stop there. This good news is for the whole of creation. So this good news is at like a cosmic level that actually Jesus came to restore all things. And in Colossians 1, it talks about how the, Jesus is restoring all things in the whole world and that he is making them new. And we sung this morning, Jesus paints the skies. You know, it's the earth that groans and longs for the restoration of Jesus. So when Jesus defeated death on the cross, yes, 
I am saved and I can be in relationship with Jesus, amazing. But that good news is for the whole of creation, the whole of our world, all of our relationships, every person, systems, structures, governments, ecosystems, powers, this is good news for everything. And so Paul is trying to blow open in these first few parts of Romans that actually don't limit this good news. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead, that is what we trust our good news in. That is what brings about all of this amazing transformation. And that's what we can look forward to. So when Paul writes that he is an apostle and he's laying out the credentials of Jesus, he's the son of David in the human, but he is the son of God. It's the power in him. This is who we're following. This is whose news we're believing. And he's done it and it's finished. And now he's, we are living in the goodness of that and the outworking of it. And we're petitioning for the, God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. The truth is it's done. The truth is it's been restored. Sin and death are defeated. We want to see that outworking in our lives, in our relationships, in our communities, in our country. I mean, wouldn't it be good to see God's kingdom come in our government? Like, you know, we need <laughs> Jesus and we need what he has achieved with his death on the cross. And it's good news. So when you hear the word gospel... Yes, be absolutely overwhelmed and bowled over by what God has done for you. But also, let's lift our eyes up and see what is that good news for the world? What is that good news for creation? For the way that our world is supposed to work? What is that good news? Um, and let's be excited by the power and the amazing nature of that good news. The other thing that Paul um, focuses on in these verses is righteousness. And we have um, going to be unpacking that a lot more um, in a few weeks' time. But I just want to touch on, on just uh, one real point about this. This verse, and these two verses in Romans 16 and 17, have changed the whole course of church history. And... The early, the early church, the early established church was the Catholic church. And there was an a understanding that to be a Christian, you had to earn and work and try. And um, that, was, that was the good news. The good news was there is a way that you can be right with God, but you have to earn and work. And it's a salvation by works, as they say. But that was their good news. That was like, wonderful, there is a way that I can be right with God. Fantastic. And then they worked and worked and worked to be right with God. But a monk, um, and some of you may know Martin Luther, um, a Catholic monk. Uh, nobody knows him personally, but I mean, somebody may have, <laughs> may have, uh, <laughs> may have been aware of him. <laughs> um, as he was reading through the Book of Romans, he could not move past verse 16 and 17 of verse 1 because his understanding of what the good news was and the whole way the church was teaching the good news was that you had to work and earn your salvation. And he got here and he said, 
this isn't what I understand. This isn't the good news. What is Paul talking about? I can't read anymore. And he wrestled with it, and he wrestled with it, and he went back to the Latin, and he looked at... No, sorry, he was in, reading it in Latin. He couldn't get it. He went back to the Greek, what Paul originally wrote, and the words, and he studied it, and he studied it, and he had the biggest revelation about the fact it was not us who work to be right with God, but Jesus has done that. It's Jesus' righteousness, and God chooses to give us Jesus' righteousness. And he was like, wow, that is unbelievable. Um, and the way he puts it is, here, Paul is not talking about the righteousness by which God himself is righteous, but a righteousness that God gives freely by grace to people who don't have righteousness of their own. He said, you mean the righteousness by which I will be saved. It's not mine. It's what you call an alien righteousness, something that somebody else is, but God makes that my property. God makes that mine. So it's not me working to be right. It's God. And he says, when I discovered that, I was born again of the Holy Ghost, and the doors of paradise swung open, and I walked through. And if you know anything about church history and the role that Martin Luther played, he was involved in what's called the Reformation, basically where um, uh, they broke away from the Catholic Church and said, that's, that's not the gospel that we see in the Bible. This is the gospel. It's salvation. It's freedom. It's righteousness by faith in what Jesus did for me, not in what I have to do to earn it. And then that's why we have churches like we have today, um, because of studying this verse that radically changed his life and the course of church history. So again, it's, um, I'm glad it's not just me that gets excited about Romans. There's a lot of church history and church fathers who this has been pivotal. If we can understand this as a church, if we can understand what Paul writes in Romans, then we're going to be transformed from the inside out, going to be convinced by this gospel, and we're going to change our world. I mean, it is just the gospel. There's nothing more powerful. The, the final point I want to make before we wrap up for today um, is verse 14. Um, he says, I am under obligation, both to Greek and to barbarians, um, to share the gospel. In other translations, it says, I am in debt. I am debted to share the gospel. Um, so I need to borrow some money. Gemma. Right. Gemma's going to loan me some money. So who am I indebted to? Gemma. Yeah. <laughs> That's a whole other level of um, spiritual thing. So Gemma's lent me money. My debt is to Gemma. What if Gemma gives me the money and says, this money is for everyone else, it's not for me? Who am I indebted to while I hold this money? Gemma hasn't given it to me. She's given it to me for all of you. So who is my debt to? All of you. And this is how Paul sees the gospel. He's received this gift from God. He's benefited, but God's given it to him for everyone else. 
So he is indebted. He is obliged. He is obligated to share this. If I just keep this, thank you very much for your gift, Gemma. Um, it was my money anyway, but what? Um, <laughs> if, I just, um, if I just keep this for me, and I've got this gospel, I've got this good news, I've been changed, thank you. That's not the intention. I have a debt to all of you because it wasn't given to me for me. It was given to me for everyone. And so that is the sense that Paul writes here. I am obliged. I am indebted. I have to share this good news because this is what you need. And God has given it to me to transform and to change you. And so as we go through the book of Romans, we're not just wanting to understand it so we can have a better understanding, so that we can live more fully. Absolutely, we want to do that. But it's so that we can grasp it and then feel the same obligation, the same debt. Yeah, and that's exactly So we need to understand it, internalise it, get it, and then we can be like Paul and be like, we're obliged. I can't hold it in. I can't. Like, if it's that amazing, if it's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, if that's the same power that I understand, how can I just go about my life like normal? Like, surely that has to change me. And by changing me, that has to then change what I do. And people have to see the power of God that raised Jesus from the dead at live, working in me for the restoration of the world. And so we might not be as confident as Paul is about the gospel at this point, um, but we want to submit to Jesus and say, we want to go on this journey to understand the fullness of your gospel. We want to understand what you've done for us, how that good news outworks itself in us and in our world, and then feel that lifelong obligation, which is a joy to share that with the world. So, Father, we thank you that you've led us to the Book of Romans. We thank you for all the people through history whose lives have been transformed because they've met Jesus in this book. We thank you for what Jesus did on the cross and for your resurrection. We pray that you would help us to understand the fullness of the gospel, that good news for us, for our relationships, for our society, for our world, for our earth, for our universe. God, the way that your plan is coming to pass and the part that we get to play in joining you in the reconciliation of all things. Lord, however confident or unsure we are in this at this point, we pray that through journeying through Romans, you would strengthen our roots. You would encourage us with faith, and that we might grow to be more like Jesus so we can bring Jesus to the world. Lord Jesus, we just submit to you and ask for you to be at work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.